Bible reading is from 1 Corinthians, verses 1 to 34. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved, if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you've believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and at last he appeared to me also, and to one, as to one abnormally born. For I am the least of the apostles, and do not even deserve to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them. Yet not I, but it was the grace of God that was with me. Whether then it is I or they, this is what we preach, and this is what you believed. But if it's preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? <clears throat> if there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. He did not raise him if, in fact, the dead are not raised. Are you still with me? For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those, who, who, those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ. We are all, all of people most to be pitied. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through one man, the resurrection of the dead came also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in turn, Christ, the first fruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. Then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father, after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For he has put everything under his feet. Now when it says that everything has put, been put under him, it is clear that this does not include God himself, who put everything under Christ. 
When he has done this, then the Son himself will be made subject to him who put everything under him, so that God may be all in all. Now, if there is no resurrection, what will those, those do who are baptized for the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why are people baptized for them? And as for us, why do we endanger ourselves every hour? I face death every day. Yes, just as surely as I boast about you in Christ Jesus our Lord. If I fought wild beasts in Ephesus with more than human hopes, what have I gained if the dead are not raised? Let's eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Don't be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Come back to your senses as you ought and stop sinning, for there are some of you who are ignorant of God. I say this to your shame. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you so much, Sue. Well, we've made it. We have got to that moment in the creed that we've all been waiting for. This is that moment where everything is resolved. Everything is made right. We believe on the third day he rose again from the dead. He, descended, he ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father and will come again to judge the living and the dead. This is that moment in the story that is in every great story. It's that moment of resolution when the murderer is revealed, or the lovers kiss, or the soldiers return victorious. And in God's great story, it's the moment where everything is put right. When we say those words, we are saying with the Saint Julian of Norwich, that all shall be well, and all manner of things shall be well. As Simon said last week, we were looking at the cross, and Simon unpacked for us that really cosmic and yet deeply personal event that affected the course of history and affects the course of each of our lives. But this morning, we're looking at what the new life that Jesus uh, won for us means for us today in Winchester or wherever we are. What does it mean for us that Jesus rose again ascended and is seated at the right hand of the Father and will come again. <clears throat> Mark and I, some of you will know, uh, we moved house in the summer, but during lockdown we knew that we were going to be moving house in the summer. And so that knowledge affected our lockdown. It meant that we had maybe slightly different priorities or different attitudes to things. We spent our time sorting and packing and getting rid of stuff when we were able to, to the charity shop or to the tip, because that knowledge affected our every day. As Christians, we live in the light of the resurrection. It's crucial to our faith, absolutely vital to our faith. Uh, my husband, Mark, he's just here, actually. He uh, was once asked um, a hypothetical question. A friend said to him, Mark, if 
someone found the bones of Jesus, and somehow, of course, you could prove that they really were the bones of Jesus, what would you do? And he said, well, first of all, I would give up being a vicar. In fact, uh, I would give up my faith completely. Because the physical resurrection of Jesus is not just some theological debate that we can discuss over Sunday lunch. It has a direct impact on us. As Sue read so beautifully to us, Christ being raised means there is resurrection of the dead. And Paul links Christ's resurrection with our own resurrection. You can't have one without the other. And if there is no resurrection from the dead, then our faith is futile. It's useless. It's like the power has gone out of the gospel message of the good news, a bit like a dead battery. Now, if you need help in being convinced of the physical resurrection of Jesus, there are plenty of books you can read or plenty of people you can talk to. And I would invite you to investigate it. But I believe for most of us here, deep down, we do believe that Jesus rose from the dead. We believe the testimony of others that saw him and wrote about it. <clears throat> Perhaps the question is for us, is are we living as if it was true? Christ's resurrection, ascension, and return changes everything for us. When Paul reminds us of this, he's not just reminding us of facts. He says Christ died for a reason, and he, he died and was raised to life according to the scriptures. It's as though Paul is interpreting these facts for us. He is saying that these events happened as part of God's great big plan of salvation. And that plan of salvation, that story, if you like, is a story that we can be part of. We join in with the story. Because when we say, yes, I believe this, yes, this is my faith, in an amazing, mysterious way, our lives are connected to Jesus's life. Just as he died and rose again, we too undergo a great transformation. Just as his death was for us, so his new life is for us too. Just as he was raised up and exalted and is seated at the, fa the Father's hand, we too are raised up and exalted. We are also placed, as it were, at the Father's, in the Father's presence, seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. Have you ever thought of that? Have you ever thought that that is where our position is, sitting with Christ in that glorious community with the Father? Because we as created humans have a purpose, we have a destiny. And it was alluded to in our passage, Paul, the Saint Paul um, is writing about, and he's reflecting, I think, on Psalm 8. And in Psalm 8, we are told that as humans, we are a little lower than the angels. We have great honor and responsibility. We were given care and rule over creation, over our world, over everything, uh, over animals and other humans and over land. 
But the problem is, of course, is we think we can have that rule, that reign, if you like, without God, the rightful ruler. And without God, without a recognition that God is the one who gives us that power and that responsibility, our power corrupts us. The dominion that we exert over creation is harmful and abusive. If we don't recognize the true king, we bring death and destruction rather than life and liberty. Paul says it, doesn't he? As in Adam, all die. Hum hum humanity without God is bent on destruction. So we so need Jesus. Jesus changes everything. Jesus died and rose again to bring in a new kingdom, his kingdom, the kingdom of God. And he is the rightful ruler sitting at the right hand of the Father. There was a very early creed, just three words. Maybe we should just move to that one. <laughs> three words, Jesus is Lord. And when Jesus was raised to life, it was as though God was affirming that truth that he is Lord. And in his, in his ascension and return, God is confirming that truth that Jesus is Lord. And when we accept that lordship, when we accept that Jesus is our Lord, we connect our lives with him. And we share in who he is and in what he does. It's very exciting. Um, Paul explains this beautifully in another letter, the letter to the Romans. In Romans chapter 5, he writes, For if by the trespass of the one man, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? just read a bit of that again. How much more will those who receive God's grace, it's God's grace, it's not through what we've done, it's not through what we deserve or what we've earned, but how much more will we, through his grace, be able to reign in life through Jesus? Because Jesus is king and he is ruling and one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. So as we accept this, we enter into this kingdom. I, th I know, and you also will know with me, that life is full of many challenges, isn't it? There's the challenge of getting older and of not doing what, we are, what we've normally been able to do. It was my dad's 81st birthday on Friday, and seeing him not quite the man that he once was, is hard. The challenge of seeing others that we love making decisions that are harmful to themselves or to others. There's the challenge, isn't there, of watching our world in the state that it's in, of seeing so much that is bad or wrong around us. Sometimes it's simply the challenge of sleepless nights or a boring job or difficult people that can feel overwhelming. So what does it mean for us to reign in life 
to have this resurrection power of Jesus. Well, Paul says just two things at the end of the chapter that we read, chapter 15. He says we are not to despair. He says, Dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. We are not to give up and we're not to give in. Paul and I want us all to know this morning that we are on the winning side. Jesus' resurrection, ascension, and return is God's way of saying, I have the final word. Nothing can stand in the way of life and truth and justice and righteousness. Any enemy of God is ultimately defeated. And Jesus coming again to judge is a good thing. It means God hasn't left us. There's um, a wonderful psalm, Psalm 96, and it's a psalm of praise. And it's a psalm that is praising God because he will come again to judge the earth. God cares about what's going wrong. So if you need encouragement this morning, remember goodness and love will one day win the day. The other thing Paul says in the light of Jesus' resurrection, ascension, and return is to give ourselves fully to the work of the Lord. And this is the bit that affects our Monday morning and our Tuesday morning and any morning. Because God's kingdom is one that we can work towards and invest in. We can, by the way we behave and by who we are, we can store up, as it were, God's kingdom here on earth. Because his kingdom, yes, it is a spiritual kingdom, but it is a kingdom that is here in Winchester and wherever we are. It's spiritual, but it's in our homes, it's in our communities, it's in our businesses. God's kingdom is in our schools. Tom Wright says, God's kingdom is not just a future hope. It is a present reality. So every time we act like Jesus or think like Jesus or simply are like Jesus, we're saying to those around us, there is a different kingdom. There is a different king. There is a king, a ruler who is reigning now. So perhaps the next time you are tidying up after the kids or weeding the garden, Perhaps you could think about how you are joining in with God's work of bringing order out of chaos. Or the next time you speak out or write truth in a situation of slander or gossip, perhaps you could think about how you are speaking God's words of truth and justice. Or when you smile at the cashier or say hello at the bus stop, you are molding culture like Jesus does. Or what about when you have coffee with a friend, thinking about you being part of God ministering his grace and love to others? Or simply when you've done a good job at work, recognizing that your creativity reflects the creativity of our Father when he says, this is good. Or maybe that time when you recognize that you're on your own a bit, 
that you are different to everyone else around you and you realize that you are the messenger of the gospel, that you are the one who is bringing hope into this situation. So don't despair, don't give up. Work and live. Work and live that prayer that we pray every day. Your kingdom come here on earth as it is in heaven. Amen.